Hey Goring, my name is Hannah. As always, I'm here to bring you an episode that focuses on a resident, public servant, or business in the township and ask who they are and how they help the township to function. This week's episode features an interview with the Corrine Township Police Chief, Mark Denny. This episode looks a little different than our previous ones. It was important that this episode not only discuss what is happening in Coleraine, but also took a step back to evaluate the events that have occurred in the last few months, namely the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. The goal of this episode is to have a frank discussion with Chief Denny about these events and about policing in this country. Chief Denny also lists a non-emergency resource line about halfway through this episode. I have listed this in the description below in case you'd ever need to access it. And as always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Hey Coleraine. Hello, I'm Mark Denny. I'm the police chief of Coleraine Township, and my favorite part of Coleraine is the community. Um, The sense of belonging and uh, the response that we get from our community whenever we need their support. I'm thinking for this episode, maybe we start with who you are as a person, and then we can kind of more go into broader police concepts. Does that work for you? Absolutely. Perfect. So let's start with what made you decide to pursue a career in law enforcement? Well, I'm one of the lucky ones I knew very early on. I was was three years old when I first uh, got my first inkling that this was a a career that I wanted to to look at. Um, Our house was actually burglarized here in Coleraine Township. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up here in Coleraine, and uh, I remember the feeling I got when the officer came in. You know, mom was scared, dad was upset, and that officer brought peace and calm back to our house. And I just remember that feeling of, wow, that's that's pretty powerful. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and as I grew up, I, I had more experiences with the officers, and I, I became friends with a, a Cincinnati police officer, and it just seemed like a good fit for me. And, and I don't remember a time that I didn't want to do this for a living. So, mm-hmm. uh, And it, here you are. Here I am, and I'm honored to be in my own community, which is yeah. incredible. There's something really special about getting to come back and – serve the community you grew up in. Absolutely, there is. And uh, it was always a dream of mine. Uh, I went a couple different paths first, but I, I ended up back where I belong. Mm-hmm. Well, that transitions us perfectly into my next question. What was your journey like to this position? Well, when I was a teenager, uh, the, the Sheriff's Department actually had an Explorer post. It's part mm-hmm. of the Boy Scouts. And it allows you to ride with police officers and it lets you learn different parts of the job and, and just try to start fitting that on for size to see if maybe that's something you're interested in. So I did that. Um, Went to University of Cincinnati, got my degree in criminal justice, okay. and uh, worked for Value City. It was a local department store at the time and, and mm-hmm. loss prevention. So I learned how to talk to people and how to do this job without the weapon and the uniform and all the other yeah. things you have to, to sometimes make your case. So you learn how to talk to people and, and get compliance and interview. Those de-escalation techniques. Exactly. And uh, how to do an investigation. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about five or six years, and then the uh, city of Chevy had hired me as a part-time police officer, mm-hmm. and I was there for a few years, and then they promoted me to full-time, and I became a sergeant in Chevy, and uh, I saw an ad that my hometown was looking for a police officer. Yeah. And it required that I take a demotion, though. I would have had to step back down to be a police officer. Oh, wow. Uh, significant pay cut and, and changed my life around, but... Uh, it wasn't a great time. I had a wife and kids, and, mm-hmm. but there's never a great time sometimes, and you just jump, so I did. And I, I took a step back and came over to Coleraine, and uh, it's all worked out for me since. Yeah. How long ago was that? That was 2004. Okay. So you've been here for quite some time. Yeah. It's my 16th year in Coleraine, uh, my 28th year as a police officer. Oh, wow. 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 That is 
That is a long time. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> what all does being the police chief entail? What's a day in the job? Much think, more, much more than I ever thought it was. Yeah, sure. I think there's kind of this like people don't really understand exactly what the police chief does. It's much like running a business. Um, they don't prepare you for it in the police academy. They, they teach you how to be a police officer, but. There's so much of, of, of business responsibility that comes with being the police chief. Um, obviously, it's the daily operations of the police department. I, I mm-hmm. work on the budget, uh, staffing, how mm-hmm. we want officers responding, policy and procedure, all the things that allow officers to go out and be successful, I'm responsible for. Yeah. And then I'm also responsible for how they conduct themselves out in the field and, and the things that they do or don't do and uh, making sure that our culture is one of uh, accountability. Yeah. That we we hold each other to a standard and that this community gets the best service they can get. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Do you have any favorite parts of your job or anything that you really look forward to? The times I get to spend with my officers, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't get to do that as much as I used to. Um, For a while, I was trying to get out and and work a patrol shift once a week. My schedule just doesn't allow that, unfortunately. But it was was great to get back to just being a policeman again. Yeah. And remember what drew me to this job to begin with and... Go back to those roots and just... But sit in the back with those guys and listen to the stories and the things that they're doing now and, and how, what great job they do. It's, it really brings me back to mm-hmm. this career. It's, it's, there's not much that resembles police work yeah. in a police chief's job, unfortunately. It's a lot of business-related things that I, sometimes I wonder why I wear a badge and a gun to work. I, I don't use them for anything, mm-hmm. so um, it, it's nice to get back to the roots, though. And Corrine is very blessed to have such an amazing force and a lot of those officers. We yeah. are, and, and it, the credit's all theirs. I mean, they're the ones that go out there every day and do this job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I may select them and, and, and pick them, which is not a small yeah. responsibility. That's probably one of the most important things I do. That's where, I mean, good policing starts. Yes. It's, it's good people. You, you find good people. I don't care what your background is. If you're a good person, I can make you a good policeman. Mm-hmm. So we've done a very good job of making sure we, we hire and we keep good people. We weed out the ones that don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's very important. Yeah. What do you think really the role they should play in a community? We're, we're community-oriented policing. We've always been that. Even before mm-hmm. that became the catchphrase that a lot of police departments used, that they say it, but they don't back it up. Yeah. It, you should be engaged in your community. We have a very large community. We have uh, 45 square miles and 60,000 residents. Mm-hmm. I have 56 police officers. Wow. If we were not involved in the community and doing programs that prevented crime or helped do things other than put a Band-Aid on issues, we mm-hmm. would be overrun. So mm-hmm. it, you have to get out in the community. You have to make connections. Um, we have allies throughout the township. Uh, we need residents to call us with information. But they're not going to do that. I don't trust you. Mm-hmm. So we have to get out and build that trust um, before issues like what we see going on around the country right now. Yeah. Before those events happen, you have to build that trust up so that people will come to you and help you do your job. So this is yeah. not, we are certainly not a department that says this is our, ours to take care of. Don't worry about it. We need the community to be part of us. Mm-hmm. How would you um, define your, your current relationship with the community? I think it's fantastic. And unfortunately, we've tested that uh, in mm-hmm. the last a year and a half, two years, we had an officer pass in, mm-hmm. in January of, of uh, 2019. and I'm so sorry to hear that. It was, it was the worst part of my career I've ever had. But when I, we had a drive from the funeral home to Corrine High School, mm-hmm. it was, uh, we had a snowstorm. It was a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a space along that route that didn't have a resident standing on it. Wow, and that's, that is, that's that is powerful. the strongest thing for, for as bad as that whole time was. That was the strongest thing I, I remember to this day was the signs and the kids and people in freezing weather standing outside. Yeah. 
just to show support and that and that's this community and we've had several occasions we had um, a parade for a, a local young man who was sick mm-hmm. and, and this place was packed with people this is what this community does mm-hmm. you know, we, we're quiet we do our business but when people need us or there's adversary they stand up yeah and, and, and rally around and it's it, they prove it over and over again so I I think other agencies ought to be jealous of this community, mm-hmm. of the relationship we have. Um, you know, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. Uh, we, we admit it when we do it, and this community accepts that and moves forward. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't think it could be better, to be honest with you. You have a, a number of community programs. I have a, a very long list. I can read them. But if you want to go into some of them, maybe Coffee with Chiefs or CARE, or just the Family Justice Center and kind of go into what those are and yeah. what the goal of them are. And, and I touched on that earlier about how it's important to do things beyond just policing to get your community involved. Mm-hmm. Um, the Coffee with the Chiefs was an idea that I stole from somebody else. Most of these ideas, I'm not smart enough to come up with them myself. I steal them from other people, which yeah. I'll freely admit that. But it, it was a, it's an effort to get your community to feel comfortable to come out with you and talk about issues that maybe they're having in their neighborhoods that they're not. Mm-hmm. They're not comfortable calling the officers to come out for or they think they're bothering the officers. But I sit down for two, three hours once a month, and, and residents come out, and we sit and talk. We yeah. have coffee. We have breakfast. Um, I have a, a core group that shows up every time, but we, we tend to still have new faces that come in. Mm-hmm. And it may be a one-time event or an issue they're having, or it might just be because they want to meet me. Yeah. And, and I try to bring other people from the police department with me so they get to experience that because I always leave there energized. Mm-hmm. You, know, you look at your schedule, like, darn, i got to go. i got to hurry up and get to that because I've got ten things to do today. But once I'm there, it's like, I don't want to go anywhere else. This is fun. And then yeah. you leave, and it's like, okay, I remember why I do this again. Also, that, that familiarity with the officers is so important. It is. And I've made friends there that people tell us things now they probably never would have done mm-hmm. before because there's a relationship we built. And, yeah. And that's vital. Um, so that's an important one. I've done that. I started it in 14, and we, we continue, well, with COVID, unfortunately, yeah. that's been a problem. We've tried a couple online versions, and it's not the same thing, but mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll certainly get back to it the minute I'm allowed to. So There's um, definitely something lacking with Zoom calls. Yes. You know, there's face-to-face contact, I think, is something we're going to come out of this really seeing yeah. the value of. I think we learned a few things we can get away with doing Zoom calls with, but in the, in the whole, I think mm-hmm. we learned that it's just not the same as you, you miss social cues, and yeah. there are things you miss. But, um, and just that, that time to sit down and be not casual but just really be able to interact you yes. know oh yeah yeah it's it's more of an investment of your time i think to do something like that so mm-hmm. um, some of the other programs though is our care program we're very proud of that that's a uh, that was created by one of our police officers mm-hmm. and it's an attempt to, to allow special needs residents in Colerain to have the same access everybody else has wow. sometimes there's things that you know the way we respond to calls or the uniform or the police car there's things that maybe cause stress or undue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, undue stress on, on the residents. So what this allows us to do is know that ahead of time. You know, the, the family or the loved one can actually have that information put into our dispatch center. Oh, really? Before we go there, we can find out, hey, sometimes the loud radio is, is an issue that's going to scare this person or it's going to cause them to become violent. Mm-hmm. So maybe we avoid unnecessary conflict. Yeah, those by triggers. Doing, and- exactly, by maybe taking a second ahead of time. So we've done that. We have about 100 families that are involved in that program with us. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there a place where listeners, if they have a family member they'd like to uh, enroll in that, they can go? 321-COPS is our um, non-emergency number, and that'll get you to everything we do. 
Awesome. So we tried to make it catchy and easy to remember. So I, yeah, I like it. Three, two, one, cops, and just ask for the care program coordinator, and we mm-hmm. can certainly get them any of these programs. Uh, we'll certainly get you the answers you need at that number. Yeah, and I'll be sure to to put that number in the description of this episode. So if you want to look at it, you can go below, and it should be listed. Great. Uh, um, so keep going with some um, of your community programs. Our, our Driving Angels program that started in 2009 in response to losing several teenagers. Mm-hmm. in automobile accidents in Coleraine. And uh, the neat thing about this one, again, was not created by us. It was created by students at Northwest High School. Wow. And said, we want to have a program where we can actually proactively confront these issues. But when those accidents happen in the future, we've got a group that can come together mm-hmm. and respond to that. So um, we did that, and we started teaching a monthly class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's presented by students and, and public safety officials about the topics uh, that we see involved in most of these crashes. Yeah. And it's become so successful now that UC did a study on it. Oh, really? Um, it, it's effectiveness and found that it's very effective. And the court system in Hamilton County has taken it as a diversion program. Hmm. So when kids under 18 get a ticket, this is one of the programs you can come to to, have, to meet that requirement. So we're yeah. very proud that we were uh, brought to that level of recognition. So um, yeah. that's, that's, again, that's been since 2009. Um, one that we're really proud of is our quick response team. And mm-hmm. that's, that's a program that's now been nationally and internationally emulated to confront the opiate epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we were responding like everybody else was. We would go to an overdose, get them in the hospital, go on to the next call. Mm-hmm. Come back to that house again next week for an overdose, get them in the ambulance, go to the hospital, come back the next week, over yeah. and over again. And, and a conversation in the backseat of a car was, what can we do differently? Mm-hmm. And the idea was born that maybe we'd send a, a police officer, a firefighter, and an addiction services specialist mm-hmm. to the house of a person who's overdosed within three days and, and talk to them about their options. Yeah. And we laughed about it. said, they're going to come. You know, we're going to knock on the door. They're going to run out the back door. The first person welcomed us in and went into recovery. And to this day, and this has been several years now, we have about 80% of the people the program contacts goes into recovery. Wow. Which is, they told us if we had 10%, we were hitting it out of the ballpark. That is. It's, it's incredible. Now, do every one of them stay in recovery? No, they don't. But if you know anything about recovery, it's not a one and done mm-hmm. trail. It's usually about seven or eight times in recovery before that person actually can get on their life and, and become free of, of their addiction. Maybe we're the first step. Maybe we're the seventh. I don't know. But uh, we're doing the right thing. And we yeah. saw reductions in burglaries and thefts. So mm-hmm. there was an ancillary benefit that we saw on the business end of that. We weren't going to the same house over and over again, which yeah. allowed us to be free to do other things in the community. So there is there is a reason, even if you're not in the camp of this is a disease that deserves to be treated, you're still seeing a benefit of your police officers being freed up and being mm-hmm. able to do more things. So. Plus, if you even save one life, it's... And, and we have. We, we've, you know, it, I remember one of my coffee with the chiefs, uh, there was a person there who was very upset that we did that. Mm-hmm. They didn't think this was a, a proper use of police resources. And his comment was, these people are trash. And the lady next to me said, well, my son was one of their, yeah. the people, and he's now has a job and a family, and he's not trash. Mm-hmm. And the look on both of their faces was kind of interesting to watch. And it brought it home to him and to me that we're dealing with real people. Yeah, these are and, people's brothers, yep, sons, they are. wives, and, and daughters. And I, I challenge almost anybody in this country to raise your hand if you've not been affected by this epidemic. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you or a family member or a friend or a friend of a friend, it's it's everywhere. And it, it it's not in certain areas. It's not in certain neighborhoods. 
it's all mm-hmm. of us. So. And it's not one type of person. Yep. It is across the board. And so that's, and from that QRT program has kind of spun our next program, which is um, a partnership with the YWCA, mm-hmm. which is for domestic violence. And we're using that model of follow-up uh, within a short period of time after that mm-hmm. event, getting to your victim and saying, You're, you may not be ready now. But when you are ready, here's the resources that you can have. Yeah. You're not, you're not in a hopeless situation. There are people to help you. Here's who you need to call when you make the decision that you need to move. And we're here for you when you exactly. at your own pace. Let's make a safety plan. I what mean, do you think the role of these experimental programs or the importance of them is in policing? It's, it's our philosophy we've always worked with was if you're not solving the problem, you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. responding to a call is not solving a problem it's a band-aid you're taking care of that situation at the moment but if you're not solving the real problem then you're not doing your job yeah and, and from the minute we hire these guys in fact our our oral pr- uh, board where they have to sit and answer questions one of the questions is here's a problem how would you solve it mm-hmm. and we're looking for that person who solves it immediately but also goes beyond that and says okay how do i stop it from happening again yeah so that's kind of built into us already these, these long-term solution is kind of built into the culture. Exactly. Of. And then when you talk to the, the people who are on the receiving end of this, we ask them, why did you, why did you go into treatment? They said, because I, I couldn't believe you cared. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe the police and the fire gave a damn about yeah. if I lived or I died. But the fact you came back to my house when I didn't call for you and you sat in my living room and, and, and looked me in the eye and treated me like a human being, that's what did it. Mm-hmm. So it's that personal touch that made the difference. So it worked. Yeah. And we didn't know if it would or not, and it, and it is. So now we're trying it in the domestic violence realm to mm-hmm. see, and it may not work. But, again, it's the right thing to do. It's yeah. the right thing to tell people, here's your options. We're here. You're not alone. You're not the one that's fault here. Mm-hmm. Let us help you. And, if again, if you can save one person by taking this, it's I mean, it's all worth it in the end. And we looked at our homicides over a 10-year period, and, and 90% of them were either drug-related mm-hmm. or uh, intimate violence-related. So if, if you know those are your two problems and you know that's what's killing people, how are you serving a community if you've done nothing to impact either one of those other than just keep responding? So the community ought to be demanding their police departments look at these things and say, okay, you see what your problem is. What are you doing about it? Mm-hmm. I've got an answer for that. Yeah. So that's, that's why we do what we do. That is, that's some powerful stuff. Why don't we take a step back and let's go into some of the events from earlier in the summer. It's been quite the summer. We've seen a, a lot of, I mean, history be made. What changes have you made or have been put in place in the Coleraine policy to prevent instances like George Floyd from occurring? And that's, that's a question, you know, my trustees asked me. Mm-hmm. very soon after this happened. And I was very proud to be able to say, I don't need to make changes. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at our policies, we've been a, uh, an accredited police department since 2005. Accreditation mm-hmm. is, is a set of about 450 standards oh, wow. that are developed by you know, chiefs across the country and uh, the sheriff's associations of best practices in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And they're peer-reviewed. And you're required to follow those. Not mm-hmm. only follow them by policy, but follow them by action. So I'm required to have a policy that says we will do X, Y, and Z, but then they actually send assessors out to us, and I have to prove that we've actually done that. Okay. Now, how we, do, how we prove it could be a myriad of different ways. It could be a videotape of us. You know, one of the policies is you have to handcuff suspects behind their back. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. Yeah. So I have a policy that says all suspects will be handcuffed behind their back. Yeah. But then I have to prove that we actually do that. So it could be 
I think we used the video from Channel 5, WLWT, that showed us walking a prisoner with his hands behind his back. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a very small example. But there's 480, and it goes all the way from how you hire police officers to how you spend your money. It covers every bit of policing Mm -hmm. and their standards. So back to the original question, um, many of these things like uh, racial profiling, use of force, use Mm -hmm. of force reporting and investigation, how you handle citizen complaints, all those things are, are a huge part of accreditation. Yeah. And it's something that the assessors really dig into every time they come. Mm-hmm. So we've got these processes already. We train on racial bias. We train on implicit bias. We, we train on mm-hmm. use, proper use of force and how to investigate it and what's proper and what's not. And, and discipline because of that and, how, and transparency on reporting that to the community. So we've been doing that for years. So, you know, we, we have chokeholds are not part of our use of force policy. Mm-hmm. And they've never been. So there's there's things that we had already done because of accreditation that now is a rallying cry throughout the country. And I look at the list of, of the demands, and we're doing them all. It sounds like the Coleraine Police Department has a really great culture. But there has been talk of other police departments around the country not having these exemplary cultures. Mm-hmm. How do you think, if you could give advice to other chiefs or other people in law, to, law enforcement on how to change this culture? And, that, and that's difficult. I get compared a lot to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and it's not fair to Cincinnati. I'm, I'm not running a thousand-man police department with the responsibilities and the challenges that they get. And, and the same with these other departments. Everybody's got their own challenges, um, but there's basic policing that we all know is right and wrong. There's nothing yeah. in that video I saw with George Floyd that was acceptable. Yeah. And what was nice, what I liked about this in the beginning was I saw police chiefs standing up and saying that. I didn't see anybody saying this was proper. Mm-hmm. That was important. Yeah. Because we know it's not. We, we, we're all trained. We know what's right and what's wrong. I mean, as a human, you you can look at that video and you can see that yes. there's no exactly. humanity. And, and I think the message got jostled a little bit in, in the preceding months. But anyway, um, back to the original question, I, I think we know what good policing is. And I think holding ourselves to standards outside of our agency, whether that's accreditation through an outside body or through the state accreditation process. And we were the first ones in Ohio to be accredited through wow. the state process. Congratulations. It's, well, thank you. It's, but it's, again, it's not my work. It's the work of the officers. But yeah. those are things, it's not for me to put a, a certificate on my wall. It's to say, okay, are we doing the best? Mm-hmm. As an objective body, are we doing the things we're supposed to do? Because you get lost in your own culture. Yeah. You don't know it's a bad culture. You don't know that it could be improved because you're, you're in the middle of it. It's an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. So having other people come in and look at your, your processes is not a bad thing. and It's not anything to be afraid of. You need to embrace it and actually welcome it. Yeah. And, and make the changes that need to be made. The processes are out there. You know, the accrediting body, we're part of CALEA. Mm-hmm. It's out there, and it's been out there forever. And it, if you adhere to those standards, you always find yourself in the right, on the right side of these things. Now, mistakes are going to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. What what happened in uh, with George Floyd could absolutely happen here, and to say that it couldn't would be naive. Mm-hmm. Things happen. Officers lose their temper. How do you react to that? Is what how you should measure that agency. When the bad things happen, how do you investigate it and how do you respond when your people are wrong? How do you think incidents where police violence does occur should be handled by the leadership of a department? Honesty. That, that's the number one. In, in every class I've taken on this is, is to get out quickly mm-hmm. and tell people what you know. It's going to come out. Everything that happens in a police agency is going to come out. Everything is a public record. So all you do by holding things back is, is delaying the inevitable and losing credibility while you do it. 
mm-hmm. stand up. If you don't know the answer, tell people you don't know the answer. I think you're, you're talking to re- you know, realistic people, yeah. usually adults, and they understand that you can't have all the answers in five minutes, but you have some answers. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to hide them, like, it's almost like a natural reaction on our part is to, to get the information and hold it close to us and not put that out. Yeah. Because that could be damaging. Well, it's going to be even more damaging when it comes out in a week and they find out you knew about it last week. Don't lie to people. The minute you lie to somebody, you've lost your credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, as chief, many times you can't control the facts of what already happened. Yeah. Get so. out there and, and tell people what you know. Do an open investigation, whether that means doing it yourself or having another agency do it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But as things come out, you need to let the people know they have a right to be aware of what their police department's doing. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you come from a, an angle of being transparent and open, you're going to make the right decisions. I think that kind of goes back to the the importance of community relations is building that credibility and that openness before an incident ever occurs. Yes. And, and some people are never going to believe you. Mm-hmm. That, that's just how it is. You have to understand there's it's an 80-20 rule. 80% of the people support you and, and will as long as you're doing the right thing, support you. And 20% are just never going to. Yeah. I spend my time with the 80% and, and I talk to them and I tell them the truth because they deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're smart people. Most of them know the truth before you tell them, but uh, it's, it's, it's always served me well is just to be open. And yeah, I, I always laugh with my, my wife and my office. I'm not smart enough to keep a lie going. There's too many things you got to remember. The truth mm-hmm. is easy. Just say the truth. And, yeah. and that way, when you're asked about it next month, the answers are going to be the same. So yeah, um, it makes life a lot less stressful just to be open. Yeah. And first and foremost, you're, you're for the people. Yeah. I mean, and at if, the end of the day, if you work in a community where you're not allowed to make a mistake, then maybe you need to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm in a community that as long as my heart's in the right place and I do this, I, that's how I treat my officers. If their heart's in the right place, I'll forgive mistakes of the head. Yeah. If you're mean spirited or you're doing things because you're mm-hmm. a criminal, then you deserve what you get. If you make a mistake or you forget a policy, we will deal with that. Yeah. And I tell them, as long as you don't lie to me or purposely hurt somebody, we can get through whatever happened. Mm-hmm. But if you do either one of those things, I'm done with you. Yeah. So you lose credibility, you're done. And this community puts an incredible amount of trust in us. Mm-hmm. They give us a tremendous amount of power. Yeah. And, and we owe something back for that. We're, we're required to be responsible with it mm-hmm. and to be open about it. So at the beginning of the summer... I was quite ignorant to the role of police unions. So something when we were preparing for this interview that I, I really wanted to bring up because I don't think it's, it's talked about. Mm-hmm. And so what is the role of police unions and their relationship to politics and how does it affect the efficiency of a police force? That, there again is, I'm kind of blessed. Uh, we have a very good relationship with our police mm-hmm. officers union. In other communities, they have a lot more power. Um, some some seem to be on a, a level equal to the chief in some yeah. communities, and that's what that community allows. That's fine. But um, my view of the police unions, uh, these officers are out there doing a very dangerous job that requires them to make split-second split decisions and be right all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. You know, we're giving 21-year-old kids a gun and a badge and saying, go fix everything that comes your way, and don't, don't do it wrong, though. They need to have some protection from that. They need to have some protection that says you're not going to lose your job for a – a well-meant, a well-meaning thing that turned into be a mistake. Um, so I, I have a lot of uh, respect for the unions, I, especially mm-hmm. the one here. They they protect their guys, but they understand too that the guys that are out there doing things on purpose need to be gone. Mm-hmm. That hurts us as much as it hurts the public. So yeah, um, they're not. I don't include them in policy decisions. Um, I'll talk to them about things that are coming, but I certainly don't wait for permission. 
mm-hmm. from them to do things. Uh, that's not their yeah. role. Uh, our contract's very clear what their role is. Um, things that are not in that contract are my decision, and I make them. Uh, but I, I treat them with respect, and I understand that there is a tremendous value. Yeah. Uh, there's some agencies that have a very adversarial relationship with the unions. Mm-hmm. That's a shame because I think it's counterproductive. Yeah. Uh, how it got there could be um, many different reasons, but we're not in that role here. It's The union here is very, very much um, a very good partner on, at the table with us. But um, I see it as a necessary part of policing. I think these guys need to have some protections. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, There's definitely a role for them. Well, the answer otherwise is to step back and not police. Mm-hmm. If, if any mistake is going to be met with me losing my job and my ability to take care of my family, there's an easy way for me not to make mistakes. Yeah. It's not to do anything. And that's called de-policing. And you see it in certain communities in this country, and it's devastating to the community. Yeah. And all it does is hurt the community. And so there, there needs to be equal, fair justice for the officers, as there does need to be for the people that mm-hmm. we deal with. So it's, it's just guaranteeing that they have due process as well. Yeah. Uh, these protests, I mean, they were broadcast everywhere. Uh, you had to watch these, and what was your reaction to seeing some of them and what they're asking for? Well, there's two different reactions. One is your, your private personal reaction to things and then in your role as police chief. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in the role as police chief, you worry about it. You know, is this going to happen in my community? Yeah. Are we ready to deal with this if it does? And uh, we, we actually had, we had one protest come through. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was well planned, and it was uh, conducted by some high school kids in the area. Mm-hmm. And we prepared for it. We had a very good plan. Um, but honestly, and I'm kind of proud of this, the focus of our plan was not to deal with them. It was to deal with making sure they had the right to protest. Yeah. Making sure that their route was safe, that mm-hmm. no one was going to get in their way or cause them harm. Mm-hmm. So our focus really was to protect the people who were going to come out and say terrible things about us. Yeah. That's a great society. That's how mm-hmm. things are supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. and we, we guarantee that they had their First Amendment rights. We disagreed with their message, and they're, which is fine. There's yeah. no problem with that. But our role isn't to have that argument. It's to, it's to safeguard their rights. So it went off without a hitch. In fact, they had a second one a few weeks ago, and, again, it went very well, I thought. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have destruction and looting that, that these larger mm-hmm. cities had. They were peaceful process completely. I, and I'm sad because I think we lost a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think when this first happened, we were all on the same page. This was a terrible event. There was nothing about that that's legal. That's not how policing ought to be done. Mm-hmm. We were all on the same page for a day, and then somehow we got off the page. Yeah. And, and some of the issues needed to be discussed, absolutely, but I think we could have done that without hijacking that incident. Yeah. I think we could have made some positive reforms in areas that needed to be made. Mm-hmm. That's now been, I think, lost because it's hard to separate the ones that burned down the store from the ones mm-hmm. that wanted good change. And that's kind of sad. Um, I think there's still some ability to, to make the changes we need to, and there's, mm-hmm. some, there's some good politicians and well-meaning people that are still pushing for those good reforms that need to be made. And again, I, I look at the list of reforms, we're doing them all. So I don't see why you wouldn't want to jump on the bandwagon. But mm-hmm. you know, each agency and each community is different. But, um, and it takes time to make it does. change. It, it, it needs to be a culture change within the agency as well. Uh, but I'm afraid that people have hijacked this yeah. from what it was meant to be. Do you have anything that you would like to see as a result of these protests? I know you've put in a lot of policies in place, but maybe more nationwide or culturally. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've actually done a lot of those things in Colerain. We've 
we've hosted talks where we could have members of the African-American community and minority communities come in and talk to us. Mm -hmm. Tell us, you know, because we see things from a certain point of view. And we yeah. always will. But to have that other view mm -hmm. and, and, and how are you perceiving the things that we're doing? You know, we think we're doing the right things in Coleraine. How are you perceiving that on your end? Is it coming off that way or could we do things better? So just opening those communication lines, yeah. I think, would be tremendous. I think some people... Some people have given up and, and figured we're never going to change as a police agency, and, and we've closed our mind thinking, well, they're never going to believe us anyway, and we've gotten our silos. Mm -hmm. If we could close that down for a little while and maybe actually communicate with each other it would be incredible. Yeah, and, I mean, that is, I mean, the first step is just listening to each other and it, it, trying to put yourself, No one's 100% right empathy. and nobody's 100% wrong. Mm -hmm. there, there's things that the, their community perceives that we're doing that we probably are doing. Mm -hmm. And maybe but there might be a reason for that. So we yeah. need to have the ability to, to explain that. And, and I tell my officers all the time, on any call they go to, five minutes will save you five hours. If you take five minutes to explain why you did what you did, that saves five hours of me trying to take care of it or, or investigate mm -hmm. a complaint or all these other things. So communication is everything. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm hoping that when the anger and, the, mm -hmm. and the, everything else calms down, that there's some people that come forward to say, hey, let's actually make something out of this. Yeah, let's have these discussions. They're hard discussions to have. They're not. I, I don't know that they are. I, I think mm -hmm. we're all human beings. And, yeah. And I think we can all look at, at things and, and say, okay, here's, a, here's the point of view I'm coming from. And I, I think right now people are scared sometimes to have those conversations. They're afraid that if they speak an opinion, they're going to be judged for it. And I think there's some truth to that. I think some mm -hmm. people are afraid to speak up right now. So I think both sides trust in each other and saying, okay, Everything's permissible. Just say it. Yeah. Just get it out and, and talk about it. And, and maybe there's some way we can get to point B. Maybe not, but let's find out what those issues yeah. are. So I, I hope that, and I've already had some contacts with people in our community that want to do that. They've invited me to come into their church. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm excited about it. I, yeah. And I hope there's people there that disagree with me. Yeah, we've had that before. We've gone to church and everybody just tells us how great we are. And that's great to hear. I want to hear people tell me what I'm doing wrong and what I can do better. So I, I'm hoping that there's some of that that maybe we can gain and grow from it. Uh, let, why don't we take a, a step to Coleraine for a second? What makes you the most proud to be the chief of Coleraine Police Department? And I just sent an email out. That it's the work these guys do. It's, mm -hmm. I spend a good part of my day answering phone calls of compliments. You know, I yeah. had a stack of letters. I mailed out thank you letters uh, on Monday. I had seven or eight letters from people unsolicited that just wanted to say thank you for the work they they did it's mm -hmm. not work i'm doing yeah i'm in my office the community doesn't see me that often my officers are out there every day in terrible situations and people are taking time to write a letter to say thank you it, it, it's incredibly proud, proud yeah. of me because i i've got a piece of almost every officer here i've hired them i've been on their interview panel i've done their background investigation they're here because i did something mm -hmm. so i take the pride from that part of it but the work is theirs and I tell them I get, I get all the credit for the good job they do all the time. <laughs> I come to the trustee meetings, and the trustees thank me for work I had nothing to do with. Mm -hmm. So that's the role. That goes with being the chief. But um, just just but, sitting back and watching the call volume, these guys, 50,000 calls a year, mm -hmm. 56 guys. Wow. How they handle that, I have no idea. And they that do it professionally, and they, they're changing people's lives. They're saving people's lives. Mm -hmm. it, it's incredibly proud. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot to be proud. That's a lot of calls. Yes. How, 
That is a big volume for 56. Has COVID-19 affected any part other than, you know, you can you have to do stuff virtually now, but have you seen any changes in policing because of it? Yeah, and it's not for the better. Um, you know, we, we asked our guys to quit responding to calls that were not emergencies. Mm-hmm. When I say not responding, I mean, use, call them on the phone. If there's another way to deal with that yeah. issue without being face-to-face, let's do that. But that's taken away a lot of our service. Uh, that, that face-to-face, like we talked about earlier with Zoom, we lost that in that personal touch. And maybe we catch something that, hey, something isn't right here. Maybe there's a mm-hmm. social service that we can get involved. We're missing some of those opportunities, I think. Um, but the goal and the responsibility was to keep the police department healthy mm-hmm. for the emergencies because I can't have everybody sick. And then when you call, there's nobody to come. So there's no option there. So we did things internally, scheduling and, and keeping people safe and healthy and reducing our responses to certain things, traffic stops, uh, mm-hmm. to keep everybody healthy. And so far, knock on wood, we've, we've been lucky. Not had any officers uh, contract the virus. Mm-hmm. And then wearing PPE on all of the calls, is that? Yep, that's, yeah. uh, that, that's from day one. You know, we've, when they come in, they take their temperature, they fill out a little form that talks about any symptoms they're having. They got masks. Uh, we bought everything they needed as far as uh, PPE gear keep them safe and mm-hmm. keep the community safe and, and that's that was a big lesson was to not be caught short again we, you know we didn't have what we needed at first we thought we did we right. never dealt with a pandemic before but unfortunately you, there's things you have to predict mm-hmm. and be ready for so we've learned some valuable lessons from it as well yeah this is definitely dealing with a a microscopic criminal to yes. say yeah yeah and, and we talked yesterday about changing some responses you know we've We've still scaled back our response, mm-hmm. but the needs have not changed. Yeah. So we've had to make some more changes to, to make sure that we're able to respond to the things yeah. we need to. And clearly this is, I mean, unprecedented. There's no blueprint that was, you know, how to how to respond to a pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. We've all figured it out and we're ready for the next one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's been a it's been a time. All right, so we're almost at time. Do you have any closing things that you want to say, maybe programs you would like to plug right now? or One of, one of the big issues I hear a lot from our residents is they didn't want to bother us with something. Mm-hmm. And, and I try to make it very clear, and I'll make it clear here, we work for you. Yeah. You, you calling us is not a bother. That is our job. Uh, whatever is important to you is important to us. I get asked a lot out of that 50,000 calls for service you had, how many were real police calls? Mm-hmm. Every one of them because a resident of this community needed their police department, that's a police call. So please do not think you're bothering us. We need the information you've got. We need to know. Even if it seems minor to you, you might be a small piece of a puzzle. Mm-hmm. If somebody enters your car and, and goes through your glove box, that might be an indicator to us that there's a larger issue in that neighborhood. So yeah. we need our residents to talk to us and, and communicate with us, and please don't think you're ever bothering us. We work for you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's the the perfect note to end this on. Thank you so much for coming and taking time. I know you're a very busy person. I appreciate and... the opportunity to talk to the community. Hey, Corrine, you just heard my interview with Police Chief Denny. For more interviews like it, please check out our Spotify or Apple podcast page and be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to us while there. If you have ideas for episodes or interviews you would like to see, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear them. And as always, I hope you have a great week.